You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Moses and the burning bush from Exodus chapter 3. As the story goes, we're told Moses is just a sheep herder. He's out tending to his father-in-law's sheep in the middle of the wilderness when he has this paranormal encounter. This shrub, this bush is glowing or a flame, but not like a regular fire because the bush isn't consumed by it. In fact, this story is sometimes called the story of the unburnt bush instead of the burning bush. Anyway, he's terrified. And at first we're told he refuses to even look at the bush. He kind of sees it out of the corner of his eye and looks away. He's terrified. But of course, he eventually musters up the courage. And when he chooses to turn and really look at it, he hears a voice. Moses, Moses, the voice calls. He replies, here am I. Then the voice says, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet. For the ground on which you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Interesting how it says he was afraid to look at God. This, this event somehow was God to him. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt, and I have come down to deliver them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites... And I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God says, I am who I am. Pretty cryptic response in some ways, right? I am who I am. You shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. All right, there's the text. There's the story. This is where we first get the proper name of the Hebrew deity in the Bible, Yahweh. Have you heard of this name before, Yahweh? Before this, their God was simply called El or Elohim, which is actually the Canaanite word for God or gods, plural and singular. It was just the catch-all name for all the gods of the Canaanite world, El or Elohim including the Hebrew God or the Israelite God was called El. But Yahweh was the specific Hebrew name of the Israelite deity. And this name is created out of the Hebrew word or the Hebrew verb to be. So Yahweh's name literally means the one who is or the one who was or the one who will be. There is no verb tense in Hebrew like there is in English. So Yahweh is 
This is a non-temporal name, a non-temporal, an all-encompassing name. Scholars debate the meaning of this, but I like the take of one Jewish scholar, a rabbi named Arthur Green. Rabbi Green says, the meaning of Yahweh is that there is no being other than God. God's beinghood, God's existence is the beinghood and existence of all things. Yahweh is, Yahweh was, Yahweh will be, Yahweh is all and all, all in all. Everything is really one thing, and that one thing is Yahweh. This is echoed in the Shema, the Hebrew prayer, the most prominent of Hebrew prayers. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Scholars like Rabbi Green believe this doesn't just mean there was only one God, a kind of monotheistic claim, but that God, the one, is one with all creation. The God who blew the breath of life into Adam's nostrils in Genesis 2 is the breath of life itself. There is no distinction between God's spirit, God's breath, and God's self. God is that which animates all things, gives all things their beinghood and existence. Thus, the deeper meaning to the burning bush story is that every bush is burning, not just one bush, not just one tree or shrub, not just one thing. Everything is alight with the spirit of Yahweh, the one. This is called animism. This is really what I want to talk about today, animism. And it's perhaps the most ancient and ubiquitous spiritual idea found throughout the world, throughout history. A few weeks ago, we were in a series on mysticism and how mysticism is kind of the, the foundation, the burning heart, if you will, of religion. And that all religions eventually were birthed from ancient mysticism or the mysticism of indigenous people. I really should have covered this then, this talk in animism. So we're going back a little bit. But mysticism is this idea of oneness or oneness with the divine or the divine's oneness with all things. It's this idea of all things being connected and related. And part of this grand mysterious system called the universe or God, everything is one thing. That's mysticism in essence. Again, most religions began as a set of mystical ideas and practices in ancient indigenous cultures. And animism is a part of that. Animism is, is a part of mysticism and therefore foundational to religion too. In fact, animism is a kind of mysticism or mysticism is a kind of animism. What is animism? What is it? Well, the term comes from the Latin word anima, meaning spirit breath and life. This is where we get words like animal from or animated. Animism refers to the belief that all things 
have spirit, breath, and life in them. In other words, personhood or mind extends to all things, not just to us, but to all things. Everything in nature, not just animals and insects, but plants and even rocks and water and so-called inanimate objects are expressions of mind and personhood and life. It, it's not that the rocks and the water are alive like us. Of course they're not. Of course not. But they too contain a spark of the divine. They are part of this living system called the universe. Every bush, every rock, everything is burning with this divine spark. I know that seems crazy at first blush. <laughs> Maybe it seems crazy to you. But once you think about it and follow the logic, begins to make more sense. A good analogy might be our own bodies. Our own bodies are a great example of what animism is all about. Think about it. You are, our bodies are what? 60% water, we're told. Most of you is water. Water is an inanimate object, we're told, right? What about water then is alive? If most of you is water and the collection of other elements like carbon and nitrogen, what about these inanimate, inanimate objects is actually animated and alive? If water and other non-living elements like carbon and nitrogen, etc., can organize themselves into living creatures like you and me and a dog and a tree, that suggests that the boundary between so-called animate and inanimate objects, the boundary between mind and matter is blurred or non-existent at all. This is animism, and it's perhaps the most ancient spiritual idea we have. Anthropologists tell us that animism is the most common foundational thread of indigenous spirituality to be found throughout the world. Most, if not all, Native American tribes are animist. You, you would be hard-pressed to find an indigenous religion now or in the past that is not animist in some way. And since all religions begin as indigenous religions or indigenous spiritual traditions, including, of course, Christianity, Christianity, too, is animist. Christianity began in Judaism, right? But Judaism began as the spiritual traditions of a Bronze Age Semitic tribe living 3,500 years ago in what was then the land of Canaan. The Israelites were Canaanites, and they shared a lot in common with their Canaanite and Mesopotamian neighbors. Like them, they too worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars. Tradition holds that Abraham worshiped the moon like his father did before him, before he worshiped El, or Elohim, and then later Yahweh. The ancients virtually all believed that celestial objects like the sun, the moon, and the stars were divine beings, and that the forces of nature change the season, that caused the, the, the rains to fall, that these forces were alive and divine. And while we think of such ideas today as you know, superstitious nonsense, modern scientific theories of consciousness are increasingly suggesting that mind and matter 
are not separate things. And that the entire cosmos, all of matter and space and time, may be alive in a way. It's all minded. It's all a manifestation of the mind. Again, every bush is burning. This is called panpsychism. We've talked about this before. Pan meaning all, psychism meaning mind, all is mind. And this is a theory that's gaining a lot of ground today as a theory that better explains how life could come to exist in a universe made up of non-living components. Have you ever thought about that before? How could life come to exist on its own accord in a universe made up of non-living components? How, how could that happen? Well, science has been telling us for generations, well, it just happens by mere chance alone. Just you give, you give atoms enough time, infinite time, they're eventually going to form themselves into living things and, and thinking things like us. Mind from mud by chance alone, we're told. Mind from mud by chance alone. We've won the cosmic lottery, essentially, which is frankly kind of hard to, I find it pretty hard to believe. And I think most people do. But if everything is minded, if everything is a manifestation of a cosmic mind that courses through all things like electricity or gravity, then suddenly it's not so hard to explain anymore how atoms, unliving, unthinking, so-called unliving, unthinking atoms and molecules would choose to organize themselves into living and thinking creatures like us or a dog or a tree. Thus, the answer to the question, how could life come to exist under the power of its own volition in a universe made up of non-living components, the answer is matter has volition. Matter, space, and time are not just mindless stuff. These so-called inanimate objects are not so inanimate after all. Everything is burning. Every bush is burning with the spark of the divine. So in a, in a sense, the ancients weren't wrong in their animus views. What they ascribed to magical or supernatural powers, we now ascribe to mind and consciousness. Isn't it amazing how everything can come back full, full circle for you in your life? At least it has for me. I mean, I'm no longer that Pentecostal fundamentalist that who had that supernaturalist worldview anymore. I'm not that person anymore. But I never stopped believing that the world was enchanted in some way. It's just, I just think differently now about what that enchantment is. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us. What does all this mean in practical terms? Well, for me, it means that we have a great story to tell. And we need a great story to tell. One of the, the biggest problems I think we're facing as a culture today, the modern West, is this loss of meaning. This, this loss of meaning that comes from being told that everything is really just nothing. That everything is just particles 
and there's nothing transcendent going on. There's nothing special about being here or being alive. We're here by sheer chance alone. We're just a freak of nature, <laughs> just the random outworkings of math. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. There's nothing transcendent about anything, we're told, from what might be defined as reductive materialism or the scientific worldview that we've been handed for the last two centuries. Everything is nothing, and nothing means anything. Nothing means nothing. You're just a random accident of nature. There's no meaning or significance to your existence at all, we're told. This is the story, again, we've been given by the natural sciences for the last couple hundred years. And it's a, it's a depressing story. It's kind of bad and sad, right? Everything's kind of bad and sad, we're told. That's it. And the op extreme is, is equally as bad. The opposite extreme is religious fundamentalism. This, this story that says, you know, you got to throw your brains out the window. You got to ignore science and believe in superstition. Read the Bible like a science textbook. Throw your your critical faculties away and believe in whatever your whatever your pastor says or the book says. Believe in mere superstition and nonsense. We're told that's the alternative. We're told from you can either be scientific or you can be a religious fundamentalist. That's nonsense. Both extremes, I would argue, need to be rejected. Both religious fundamentalism and reductive scientific materialism are incoherent, depressing, and frankly, boring. But the good news is that there's an exciting third option, which is a story that I think bridges science and spirituality and honors both and uses both to show us we are cosmic. To be human is to be cosmic. We are transcendent creatures. We are divine. We are, we are part of this incredible mystery and we can treasure and celebrate that and experience, I don't know, just be filled with gratitude and awe and curiosity sense of wonder and mystery. I mean, what's better than that? What, what story could offer us a greater sense of spiritual vitality than that? That's the story I want to tell. That's the story I believe in. We need stories that help us do that. Stories of connection, stories of oneness. Stories that, that tell us everything is full of the life, breath, and spirit of God, however you understand God. Such stories fill us with, with a love for life, a love for ourselves, a love for others, and a love for the entire cosmos, actually. What could be better than that? Such stories, I think, are inherently meaningful. And we need stories that give us meaning today more than ever before. Stories that connect us and that we can build community around. Spiritual stories. What could be better than that? We need stories that are reconstructive, meaning they help us 
deconstructed former evangelicals recovering from religious trauma. We need stories that are reconstructive, that help us reconstruct a spirituality after the death of the God of traditional theism and religious fundamentalism who absolutely needed to die. Not all gods need to die, just the murderous and oppressive ones, right? Just the bigoted, homophobic, anti-science, anti-woman. Those gods need to die. But not all gods need to die. The god of traditional theism and religious fundamentalism, we, we should be atheists of that god, I think. Atheism, so certain kinds of atheism, well, any kind of atheism is okay in my book. We should all be atheists of that god, at least. It's a false god. We need a story that can do that. And animism is a part of that story. And I think always has been. This connects us to the ancients. And anything that does that in a healthy way, I think is good too. The story is that every bush is burning. Everything is a light with the spirit, the breath, and the life of God. You and me, a dog in a tree, everything. And with that in mind, let's turn towards the Lord's Supper today. What is the meaning of this mystical tradition called the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. This is the body of God. The same way he took the cup and he blessed it and said, take, drink, this is my blood. This is a mystical tradition we have, whereby we find in these very simple elements of cracker and juice, the presence of God. Everything is burning, everything is alight with the presence of God. Here we find at the heart of Christianity, this animist idea that in these communion elements, is God. And by receiving them, we are saying, God is in me, and I am in God, and everything is part of this whole big thing. And that, for me, is part of the deeper meaning of this holiest of traditions. It's mystical. It's animus. Here's God. That's powerful, I think. Here at Central, everyone is welcome at this table, just as everyone was welcome at the table of Christ in his day. We receive communion by dipping it in, that's grape juice, and this is a gluten cracker, so everybody can partake. You dip it in the cup, you receive it, and you serve the person next to you. We serve each other communion here. There's a further demonstration of our belief that we are God to each other. We are to bring Christ to each other. We are to be the body of Christ in the world, bringing God's love, God's spirit, into each other's lives. Partake in this now. You are invited. Regardless of who you are, where your faith is at, you are invited to partake in God. Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
as part of our time together here every week, um, we have a little discussion portion at the end of the service where you get to I don't know, ask questions, um, comment, complain. That's cool too. You can critique. I'm just somebody, just a regular person. You get to criticize the pastor in this church, disagree or whatever. Uh, and so, um, yeah, we want to open it up now for questions, comments. And if you're joining us via um, Zoom, <clears throat> you can always unmute your channel and join us that way. But, uh, you know, I'm curious to hear how, you know, this story resonates with you or doesn't resonate with you and provides an alternative maybe to, I don't know, the story you were raised with this about, you know, the old man in the sky, maybe that, that kind of version of God. But, yeah, any any thoughts, questions, and remarks about any of that? Animism, mysticism. Yeah, Anna. Let me get you that. Here, take this one. I just want to say thank you. I really appreciated the message, um, and it reminded me as someone who is definitely raised on Disney movies uh, in Pocahontas, which is very historically inaccurate, but uh, I think it's like the paint with all the colors of the wind. At one point she's singing like every rock and tree and creature has a life and a spirit and a name. And I really loved that as a kid, I felt very connected to the, the earth. And, you know, uh, and I remember asking my mom one time, like, does this have a spirit? Does it like, asking her and I think in her uh more like conservative evangelicalism she was much more like uh people are like the most important and like no they don't really like God made things but like there's not like a spirit in them um which was you know a fair perspective and I didn't really feel shut down but I felt I guess empowered and yeah my whole life has felt very like yeah, yes to animism, I guess. And um, I think it's more truthful and comforting just to kind of be bathed, whether it's like the rocks or the trees or even inanimate objects that humans have made, just, um, I don't know, feeling God's presence and spirit in them rather than just, we find that in church or, you know, churchy activities. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It just reminded me of the way I was raised. We were, we kind of mocked that worldview, that animist worldview. We thought it was silly or like witchcrafty or something like that. Right. And it's kind of, it's really sad for a few reasons, but what a tiny view of God we had. And we would mock these views that were more, you know, um, all encompassing this, this sense of God's presence in everything and everyone. We mocked that. For, for the sake of this kind of traditional theistic sort of, you know, old man in the sky, God's up there, right? We're down here, you know, this isn't God. You're not God. You're, um, you know, we, we mock those ideas of being woo-woo and new agey. But now I'm looking at the scriptures and reading these stories, and not just the story of even the incarnation, which is at the heart of the Christian story, God became man. I mean, Athanasius, third century church father said, with regards to the incarnation, God became man so that man might become God. That was church orthodox. And we mocked that and saw that as being, you know, too too new agey, too woo-woo, too indigenous spirituality, too sh shamanistic, too, you know, the shamans, right? Now I'm like, no, that was it. We missed the boat. Pocahontas was right. <laughs> 
Uh, you're also reminded me of a really quick personal story. I was going to Vaughn's with Lucy six months ago or something like that. She just asked me out of the blue, Dad, is God dead? I was like, oh, man, I've been waiting for this conversation. <laughs> and then I was just like, but I don't, and I said, I don't know. What do you think? She's like, I think he's dead. I'm like, well, why? And she said, because he lived a long time ago and he was very, very old. I'm like, okay, well, that's a fair answer. Um, and she says, but, but what do you think? I said, well, you know, nobody really knows the answer to these questions. She was like, hmm, well, we should ask an expert. And I said, well, it turns out um, the experts don't even really know. And, you know, I didn't tell her like, well, I'm kind of an expert because I've got these degrees. But I was like, hey, you know, yeah. but then I was just like, you know, I shared with her on my own views that I don't, I'm not like an atheist, but we kind of embrace death of God theology. That's a different topic. My point is, I just kind of gave her space to think for herself without like being the dad, being like, this is what we believe and you better, you know, obviously that's not me. Five minutes later, we're in the Vaughn's parking lot at this point. <clears throat> she says to me, I think, I think God is, oh, let me borrow yours because nobody can hear me otherwise online. She said, I think God is, is, oh, even this one. Um, I think God is the wind and nature itself. And I was just like, that's awesome. She's five years old at that point. And I was like a five-year-old. She's like just spouting off pantheism, which is this very abstract, but very ancient understanding that everything is full of the spirit of God and God indistinguishable from creation itself. And I was just like, from the mouth of babes. <laughs> But I mean, if she can get it at five, doesn't need to over anthropomorphize God into this being like us up there, but sees God all around her in the trees and in herself. That's awesome. A kid, a five-year-old gets it because I think it's intuitive. I think, I think fundamentally, if we peel back all the layers and the nonsense of religious fundamentalism, I think we intuitively sense that there's something divine and sacred about this right here right now and all around us that 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 sense of awe we get when we look up at a star-filled night sky should i think that's an inherently spiritual human reaction i just i just love that anyway yeah leanne yeah going off the kid anecdotal angle um I'm not a huge Star Wars person now, um, but I really love the original ones as a kid and still do. Um, and I think no small part of that is that whole notion of the force. And I remember back in the day when I had Facebook and it was up and coming, um, it asked like religion and I put the force slash Lutheran. <laughs> Like literally, but like kind of jokingly, but also looking back, I'm like, no, there's a reason I jokingly put that because I think there's something to like, he talks about like, it penetrates us, it binds us together. Like there's like a very spiritual component that's really wonderful. And then of course, in the prequels, they were like, it's midi chlorians <laughs> ruining it. <laughs> but anyway, I think like that's, there's, I think in part of the reason why that story was so meaningful was this notion of there is this like I don't know interconnectedness that he's talking about 
after hearing how you approached it today and you as well, now I have more appreciation to the movie you introduced us to where the, the God in that movie, the Japanese movie was a deer or buck and he could walk on water and yet it wasn't necessarily really water and he was he breathed in life and he breathed in death and he was all in one and it's interesting how now i have a, a deeper appreciation for why you probably enjoyed that movie and wanted us to to watch you know watch it princess mononoke yes yeah good stuff um yeah and george lucas going back to star wars for just a second George Lucas was inspired by the work of Joseph Campbell, who was this American philosopher theologian that talked about the what the hero's journey and how our myths are arc are just just common archetypes about kind of the same thing and about this recognition of the divine all around us. And specifically, Lucas was inspired also by what's known as perennial philosophy. Perennial meaning it pops up everywhere this idea of oneness and the presence of the transcendent all around us. And so he was deeply influenced by these spiritual ideas of animism, which again are ancient and been around forever. I don't know, we need to, need to say yes to, I'm, I'm saying, yeah. All right, good stuff. Somebody else this morning. Film theory works, yeah. Hello, welcome. All right, okay. Um, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I just, um, I appreciated uh, uh, all the aspects of, of what you were saying, and it just kind of made me think of, especially down the science angle, you know, the, um, and some of the, I don't know, he called it millennial, or the, the repetitive theory, you know, that, um, you know, we know that, like, at the subatomic level, every, you know, there's motion, like, everything is vibrating, there's energy, even in the most inert things, and I think, you know, and I've also read the, you know, a lot of hard scientists at the very high level physicists and, are, you know, that most of them, if they don't already believe in God, they kind of come to believe in something that there's higher and, and mysterious going on when the rules like quantum physics start to change when you get to the subatomic level. And, you know, I like that this idea has been around in different forms in a lot of religions, you know, like the, uh, what you know one of the dead sea scrolls says crack open a rock and i am there you know speaking about you know the inert rock so i, I just love it i think it's great thank you jason welcome jason um yeah good stuff uh, somebody else this morning okay well let us finish our time together as we always do by saying this benediction as one community, let's say this now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody, and interacting. Go in peace.